Father, we praise you. We recognize you are the creator of the universe, that you have a grand plan, and it will be accomplished. We want to get in on it. You are the awesome creator. You are the greatest one. And you love us, and we are humbled by that. So we want to draw near to you. We want to learn uh, these things about your blessing, especially about your protection over us from your word today. And we ask that you would speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, turn to Zechariah chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 1 through 13. That's page 539 in the Bibles that we give away. If you don't have a Bible, just raise your hand. Someone will bring you one. It's our gift to you. And we're going through Zechariah verse by verse. And today we're at this section on God's protection. So I wanted to read you something while you're turning that. It says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and populated the earth with broccoli, cauliflower, and spinach, green and yellow and red vegetables of all kinds, so man and woman would live long and healthy lives. Then using God's great gifts, Satan created Ben and Jerry's ice cream and Krispy Kreme donuts. Mm. And Satan said, you want chocolate with that? And man said, yes. And woman said, and as long as you're at it, add some sprinkles. And they gained 10 pounds, and Satan smiled. And God created the healthful yogurt that woman might keep the figure that man found so fair. And Satan brought forth white flour from the wheat and sugar from the cane and combined them. And woman went from size 6 to size 14. So God said, try my fresh green salad. And Satan presented Thousand Island dressing, buttery croutons, and garlic toast on the side. And man and woman unfastened their belts following the repast. God then said, I have sent you heart-healthy vegetables and olive oil in which to cook them. And Satan brought forth deep-fried fish and chicken-fried steak so big it needed its own platter. And man gained more weight and his cholesterol went through the roof. God then created a light, fluffy white cake, named it angel food cake, and said it is good. Satan then created chocolate cake and named it devil's food. God then brought forth running shoes so that his children might lose those extra pounds, and Satan gave cable TV with a remote control so man would not have to toil changing the channels. And man and woman laughed and cried before the flickering blue light and gained pounds. Then God brought forth the potato, naturally low and fat and brimming with nutrition, and Satan peeled off the healthful skin and sliced the starchy center into chips and deep-fried them, and man gained pounds. God then gave lean beef so that man might consume fewer calories and still satisfy his appetite, and Satan created McDonald's and its 99-cent double cheeseburger. Then said, do you want fries with that? And man replied, yes, and supersized them. And Satan said, it is good. And man went into cardiac arrest. God sighed and created quadruple bypass surgery. Then Satan created HMOs. No insurance people here? Probably not. <laughs> I'm just kidding. just kidding. Sort of. All right, the world is not safe. 
because of the devil and because it has been cursed due to Adam's sin. On our own, we don't have a chance. Imagine if a scrawny 90-pound weakling promised to protect you. That is what it is like to depend on your youth, health insurance, or retirement fund to protect you. In the joke, Satan wins, but in the real world, God wins if you take refuge in him. Let's look at our passage, Zechariah 2. I looked up and saw a man with a measuring line in his hand. I asked, where are you going? He answered me to measure Jerusalem to determine its width and length. Then the angel who was speaking with me went out, and another angel went out to meet him. He said to him, run and tell this young man, Jerusalem will be inhabited without walls because of the number of people and livestock in it. The declaration of the Lord, I myself will be a wall of fire around it, and I will be the glory within it. Listen, listen, flee from the land of the north. This is the Lord's declaration. For I have scattered you like the four winds of heaven. This is the Lord's declaration. Listen, Zion, escape you who are living with daughter Babylon. For the Lord of armies says this, in pursuit of his glory, he sent me against the nations plundering you. For whoever touches you touches the pupil of my eye. For look, I am raising my hand against them and they will become plunder for their own servants. Then you will know that the Lord of armies has sent me. Daughter Zion, shout for joy and be glad for I am coming to dwell among you. This is the Lord's declaration. Many nations will join themselves to the Lord on that day and become my people. I will dwell among you, and you will know that the Lord of armies has sent me to you. The Lord will take possession of Judah as his portion in the Holy Land, and he will once again choose Jerusalem. Let all people be silent before the Lord, for from his holy dwelling he has roused himself. Now, if you remember this passage, what's going on with Zechariah, the people of Israel, they were exiled up to Babylon because of their sin, but God has allowed them to go back home and under Persian rule, and now they're home, but their temple still isn't built, and so they're still feeling like exiles and have been praying to the Lord, and now we're seeing these visions. Actually, there will be eight visions from Zechariah uh, in this apocalyptic kind of language, so we need to uh, have have some help on exactly how to understand this. Uh, Klein, in his commentary, he says, vision three continues the themes of divine protection for God's people and the miraculous restoration of the land found in the previous two visions. The third vision emphatically declares that Israel should face her future with bold confidence, not because of her circumstances, but because of God's word. The Lord has given his absolute assurance of his presence and protection. So God is calling Israel now to rebuild the temple, thus the vision of the angel in measuring Jerusalem, and to rebuild Jerusalem. Uh, now that they're back home. He's also promising his eschatological blessing, protection, and presence. Now, I want to read you something that's a little technical, okay? But try to follow through because this is very, very helpful, not in just understanding this passage, but the rest of the book of Zechariah so we can understand what kind of literature this is. So 
This is what Klein says. The scope of God's promises does not adequately correspond to any historical epic. The massive repopulation of Jerusalem, the Lord as a wall of fire around Zion, the Lord's glorious reign from within his holy city and the many nations who will be joined with the Lord in that day all prefigure an eschatological fulfillment. That means a fulfillment in the end of time. It is problematic hermeneutically, however, to posit an interpretation whose fulfillment was so remote historically from Zechariah and his disconsolate audience as to lack any measure of encouragement or relevance to their historical situation. Consequently, the prophecies signify a limited fulfillment in which post-exilic Judah saw a repopulation of Jerusalem, divine protection, and a renewed commitment to worship the Lord. No one living in the darkest days of the exile of the years immediately thereafter could have envisioned anything short of God's wondrous work on their behalf. This partial fulfillment prefigures what God would accomplish on the eschatological day of the Lord. Consequently, Merrill appropriately concludes that the passage possesses a dual referent, the initial and partial fulfillment occurring in Zechariah's day, while the ultimate focus of his prophecy will come to full fruition in the millennium at the return of Jesus Christ. So let me put it in my words. What we're seeing here is that there is going to be an initial fulfillment throughout the book of Zechariah in Zechariah's day. But the full fulfillment doesn't come until the end. Now, there is a greater fulfillment at the first coming of Jesus Christ. We'll see that mentioned several places throughout Zechariah. But the fullest fulfillment at the second coming of Jesus, which is going to be an awesome, incredible day, right? When Jesus comes back, I'm telling you what, all of this is going to be completely fulfilled, and that's the promise. That's what we long for. But yet we can experience some of it even now. That's what we want to understand with this. So there's uh, this fulfillment, but then the ultimate fulfillment, okay? So let's walk through it. Uh, First of all, Verses 1 through 5, we see God's eschatological promise of blessing, protection, and presence. And the way he describes this, this is what I see as what is revival. If you want to know what, what revival is, it's when you experience God's blessing, his protection, and his leading, as well as his presence to where that changes you, and then you start reaching out and change other people's lives, and it just becomes greater and greater, okay? That's revival. So that's what we're seeing here. At first, it starts out with God's promise of blessing. And the way he describes this, after the angel measures Jerusalem, etc., verse 4, he said to him, run and tell this young man, Jerusalem will be inhabited without walls because of the number of people and livestock in it. Now, we're not used to rural. Well, I don't know. In Minnesota, we have a lot of rural. So maybe some of you grew up on a farm or whatever. This is a blessing to have lots of cows. Okay, so many that you can't contain them in the city if you put a wall around it. So can't have a wall because God is going to bless them so much it's just going to spill out over the wall. That's how he's describing this, right? Okay, and uh, and so, but now that could be a good thing and a bad thing because 
The wall, back in the ancient times, they had walls around cities in order to protect them from invaders. Okay, so if you don't have a wall, you got a problem, right? Well, you have this blessing promise, but then you also have the promise of a wall of fire around his people. I love this part. Look at verse 5. The declaration of the Lord, I myself will be a wall of fire around it, and I will be the glory within it. So God is saying, no wall, because I'm blessing you so much, but don't worry, I got your back. I'm going to protect you. I am a wall of fire. You guys have heard of a hedge of protection? I'll tell you what, I'd much rather have a wall of fire, wouldn't you? Wall of fire, I mean, that's a hedge of protection. That thing could easily get burnt up, knocked down, whatever. But a wall of fire with God being the wall of fire, whoa, this is protection that he is calling us to. He's saying, this is my promise to my people. I will take care of them. Fire represents God's powerful presence, as it always has throughout the Old Testament. Now, I have asked Aaron to come up because he's going to share a testimony of how God protected him in this light, uh, in his uh, an illustration in his life where God he experienced this kind of protection. So, Aaron. doing worship, and on our way back, it was about 11 o'clock, 11.30 at night, on our way back to our vehicle, a bunch of guys that were obviously high attacked us, and uh, they, I mean, they were saying unintelligible things, and it didn't make sense, but um, they attacked us, and one of them had my, you got it, Caleb? So one of my, one of my best friends um, one of the guys had my best friend around his throat and he had him down on the ground and he was like just shaking him. And I ran over there and I intervened and the man, the, they were a little bit older than us. They were probably in their early 20s. And he turned around and he just punched me right in the side of the head um, two or three times. And one of the times he got me really hard and it just kind of made stars burst in my head and I, I put my head down to protect myself and as I did it was like the Lord just said pray and I just looked up at the guy and I just started praying out loud um, and all I remember saying is Jesus please help us and the man was just ready to hit me and he just put his hands down at his sides right away and he said he got cocked his head and he said what And then he whistled, like, and said, let's get out of here. And all of them just left, immediately left. And as they were leaving, one of them said, "Um, if there's anyone else out around here, we're going to annihilate them. And my friends and I, we just kind of were obviously very shocked. And um, what we did was we just banded up in a circle and started praying. And, you know, prayed for 
the men prayed for anybody else out around that area. And that night, um, there was an exchange student from Japan with us. Her name was Akiko Tashiro. And we'd been, we'd invited her to youth group all year. And she'd been at youth group and presented the gospel and everything. That night was the first night she ever expressed faith in Christ. So um, it was amazing to see what God did. Not only did he protect us, but through that protection, we didn't have to raise a fist. He protected us. And through his protection, miraculous protection, uh, he brought faith to this young lady. So it was a pretty amazing experience. That's awesome. That's what God is promising here. A fire around his people. Now, there is a warning. I want to read Proverbs chapter 25, verse 28. We'll see more of a warning in a little bit, but I just, just as far as this idea of a wall around the city and God's protection. In Proverbs 25, verse 28, it says, A person who does not control his temper is like a city whose wall is broken down. Now remember, a city with its wall broken down is a city without protection. And so the person who can't control his temper, who has a a problem with anger, is defenseless against the attacks of the enemy. And obviously we're speaking spiritually here. The spiritual attacks of the enemy, uh, that's in fact in Ephesians 4, it speaks of that. If we can't control our anger, it's like we're giving the devil a foothold into our life. That will scare the living daylights out of us. God promises his protection, but when we walk away from that and, we, and, and, and go into these fits of rage and, and uncontrolled anger, when, if that's you, Seek the Lord. You can't overcome it yourself, but in God's power, he can break that. It's a demonic thing over you. God can break that. You very well might have to share that with some brothers and and sisters in Christ and and ask them to pray for you, but God can deliver. This is, I know one guy, uh, he was in the Vietnam War, and he was, by his story, one of the angriest people that you could imagine. And God, through prayer, softened his heart so much. He's the most gentle man I've ever met in my life and has no problems with anger again. This is God's, he wants to protect us, so we got to take that warning, don't walk away from his protection. And, uh, and so we see this protection and then finally God's presence. I think that's the greatest gift of all as far, as far as revival is concerned where we experience the presence of God in incredible ways. The way it's described here is that I, God, will be the glory within it. Now he's speaking there, reminding them of past times in the temple when the tabernacle was built and dedicated. And then when the temple was built and dedicated, it says the fire of the Lord came down and was filled this place so full, the people just fell down bowing in awe and shouting in glory, but couldn't even enter it because it was so incredible by the presence of God. That's what he's promising here. God's presence again to the temple, to his people. The glory of the Lord will come back to his temple, partially fulfilled in Zechariah's day, but a greater fulfillment when Jesus came and entered the temple. When he was there, that was God himself, the glory of the Lord in the temple. Now, tragically, because it was veiled, 
Jesus, uh, they missed it, and Jesus ends up condemning the temple because the people didn't recognize God's visitation. But he did promise his followers. He said, lo, I will be with you always, even unto the end of the age. That's a promise that he's given to his people. And this is a promise. Remember, the people of God are the Jewish people. And now that the Gentiles have been joined along in the church, we together are the people of God. And that's this promise goes to us. And so we can expect to experience the presence of God in many times in incredible ways. But with the promise of God... God gives us a warning, and that's the next section. Verses 6 through 9, God calls uh, calls us to come out of the world. Look what it says. Listen, listen, flee from the land of the north. This is the Lord's declaration. For I have scattered you like the four winds of heaven. This is the Lord's declaration. Listen, Zion, escape you who are living with daughter Babylon. For the Lord of armies says this, in pursuit of his glory, he sent me against the nations, plundering you. For whoever touches you touches the pupil of my eye. For look, I am raising my hand against them, and they will become plunder for their own servants. Then you will know that the Lord of armies has sent me. He starts out here saying, listen, listen. In the Hebrew, it's hoy, hoy. Uh, I find it interesting. Uh, This is actually a solemn warning. Uh, by God to come out of Babylon. Uh, King James, if you have a King James version, it actually says, ho, ho. You know, I thought that was interesting. (laughs) Ho, ho, (laughs) ho. Should have had a third one there. Okay, well, anyway, uh, so we have this, but... But back to the passage, okay, he's saying, listen, 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 wait, wait. This is an incredibly solemn warning. Come out of Babylon. Now, someone said, uh, it says, come out of the north. Uh, someone mentioned to me, she thought I was going to say, come out of Minnesota, leave Minnesota, or something like that. But that is not, that is a bad interpretation of the scriptures, okay? <laughs> Just kidding. Okay, but what he is saying, though, is Babylon. So remember, Babylon, as we've already seen, even in the book of Revelation, represents the enemies of God. It represents sin that destroys us. And he's saying to them, come out of that lifestyle. Come out of that sin. Stop if you're dabbling in sin. Break away from that. Fence riders, basically, beware. Now, this doesn't mean, it's not like, you know, come out of them and don't have anything to do with the people of the world. That's not what he's saying either. A couple New Testament passages that describe this. One is 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 18, where it says, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Uh, That is not saying we shouldn't have anything to do with people who don't know the Lord. We're supposed to love everyone, right? We're supposed to be involved in people's lives. So he's not saying that. What he says, another part of that 2 Corinthians passage, therefore come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord, do not touch any unclean thing, and I will welcome you. He's meaning don't have anything to do with the sin that they're promoting. Love the people, but don't be involved in the sin because the sin is what breaks down the wall. It's what hurts us. He says also in 
First John chapter two, verses 15 through 17, don't love the world. Now, obviously, he's not meaning the people of the world because God says in John three sixteen, for God so loved the world, the people, don't love the ways of the world that are sinful. That's what he's referring to here. So come out of that lifestyle. That's how he's warning us. Because God is going to punish Babylon, is what he's saying here. These enemies of God. And so you don't want to be there. You'll end up experiencing the punishment. God will care for his kids. He uses this little illustration of they're the pupil of my eye. Some translations say the apple of my eye. That's probably what most people are used to. It, it, it isn't, there's no apple in your eye, by the way. It's referring to the pupil, which is the most vulnerable part of the eye, the part that needs the most protection. He's saying they're vulnerable. Anybody messes with my kids, they're going to have to you know, answer to that. And that's what he's saying here. The pupil of my eye, God will take care of his kids. But now, perhaps you're hearing this and you're wondering, okay, God promises blessing, he promises protection, he promises his presence, but sometimes bad things do happen to good people, to Christians. And yeah, sometimes it's because of their sin, but sometimes it's not because of anything they've done wrong. So how are we to understand this? And it's that now and not yet that I've been talking about through this series of the kingdom of God. This idea that this is a promise, but the full fulfillment of it doesn't take place until Jesus returns. That's when, and that's why we long for the return of Jesus. It's going to be an awesome, incredible day for God's people when Jesus comes back riding on the horse and so forth, okay? So those promises, but it is a promise today in part. So how are we to understand that? Let me show you a little illustration, and this is uh, brings about... Uh, some mathematics, okay? So uh, uh, if you're a mathematician, please let me know if I've blown it with the sets and subsets because I'm not a mathematic, okay? Uh, so how does this blessing work? Look at this picture here, okay? So just imagine God provides safety. That's you and me in the middle there. Uh, and But the trouble, notice the set trouble There are going to be some difficulties, some hardships, some troubles in life that we will face no matter what. In fact, Jesus said, you will suffer trouble in this life. He promised us that. So we will go through certain things in life, nothing we can do to avoid that. But there is a subset that I have here of unnecessary trouble. That's the trouble that we can avoid if we flee Babylon, don't partake in the sinful ways of the world, and if we seek the Lord for his protection. Now, does anybody here want to go through more trouble than you have to? Nobody. Yeah, me either, right? Okay, so we can complain all we want, or we can say, you know what, God cares about me, There are going to be difficulties in life that maybe I won't even fully understand why these things have to happen. He does promise believers that he'll turn, bring good from them. And ultimately, Jesus is going to come back and set everything right. 
Okay, but in the meantime, I don't want to experience any more trouble or trial than I have to. Think of it like the the little box is like a lion's cage. Lion can't get you just as long as you stay out of the cage. But if you walk into the cage, you're going to get devoured. Does that make sense? So that's his warning here. He does care for his kids, but kids flee Babylon, okay? That's what he's calling us to. And so he's saying this because he loves us. And then he finishes in verses 10 through 13 that God's plan is universal and leads to worship. He wants to reach all the peoples of the world. He says, daughter Zion, that's an endearing term there towards Zion, the people of God, shout for joy and be glad for I'm coming to dwell among you. This is the Lord's declaration. Many nations will join themselves to the Lord on that day, on the day of the Lord, the second coming, and become my people. I will dwell among you, and you will know that the Lord of armies has sent me to you. The Lord will take possession of Judah as his portion in the Holy Land, and he will once again choose Jerusalem. Let all people be silent before the Lord, for from his holy dwelling he has roused himself. Here we see God's plan, first of all, is worth shouting about. He says, Shout for joy and be glad because I'm coming to dwell among you. God himself is going to dwell in our midst. That is worth shouting about, isn't it? This is referring to celebration kind of worship. I mean, sometimes, you know, worship where you're just like, we praise you, Lord, you are good. Amen. Okay, there's, there's a place for that. But according to this, there's a place for going, whoo, praise God, I can't believe it, right? Have you been filled with the Spirit? If you have, you know what I'm talking about. You just can't help it. And that's what, this actually pleases God. He wants his people to be shouting for joy. Look at this worship in Psalm 95, verses 1 and 2. Here, this is God speaking of the kind of worship that he likes. And by the way, worship is all about him, not us, right? We don't worship God the way we feel comfortable. We worship God the way he wants to be worshiped. Does that make sense? Okay, and look at what he says. Come, let us shout joyfully to the Lord. Shout triumphantly to the rock of our salvation. Let us enter his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout triumphantly to him in song. So this shout for joy and be glad is a form of celebratory worship. Uh, the same words are used in Isaiah 35, 10 and many other places. God's people should be outrageously happy people. Does it make sense? I mean, with the promises that we have, yes, we may have to endure severe hardship for a time. Christians are being persecuted all over the world right now. But this is what we have to look forward to, praising God with celebration. Uh, And then, uh, so he starts out with that praise, that celebratory praise. Then he speaks of the nations, how they're going to come and join Israel. God's plan includes the nations, but maintains a unique relationship with Israel. He told us in the Great Commission, go to all the nations. We're supposed to love everybody, not hate anybody, right? Okay, that wasn't a very, uh, yeah. (laughs) Because this is God's 
plan. But, but along with that, a unique relationship with, uh, that he has with Israel. He has chosen them to be his people. It says, uh, Klein says, even though the Gentile nations would someday worship the Lord alongside Judah, as many passages in Isaiah portray, Judah would retain her distinctness and her special relationship with the Lord. We see this uh, in uh, Isaiah 14, verse 1. Let me read that for you. Isaiah 14, speaking of the end, for the Lord will have compassion on Jacob and will choose Israel again. He will settle them on their own land. The resident alien will join them and be united with the house of Jacob. So the nations will join them, but there's still a place for national ethnic Israel is what we see here. We see this in Isaiah 19, verses 23 through 25. He says, this is kind of an interesting scenario. On that day, there's that phrase again referring to the the day of the Lord, there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria. Assyria will go to Egypt, Egypt to Assyria, and Egypt will worship with Assyria. Now, Egypt and Assyria, those areas are right now Muslim areas, but he's saying they're all going to embrace Jesus Christ as Lord. And on that day, Israel will form a triple alliance with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing within the land. The Lord of armies will bless them, saying, Egypt, my people, Assyria, my handiwork and Israel, my inheritance are blessed. So notice the peoples are all going to join as becoming the one people of God, but he still has these different nations in plan, uh, and specifically and especially the nation of Israel. So God's plan. But God's plan, the last verse here I find interesting, it leads to awful worship. I'll tell you what I mean by that in just a minute. Verse 13 says, Let all people be silent before the Lord, for from his holy dwelling he has roused himself. Be silent before the Lord. You see, the word awful used to mean full of awe. It gradually, and this is how languages work, you know, they gradually can can change into completely different meanings. And but you can almost see how it evolved into the way we use awful. It's still full of something, right? Full of yuck or whatever, you know, awful, right? But in the original, it meant full of awe. And when we come into the presence of God, there are times in which we celebrate to the Lord, but there are other times in which we are to be silent before him, where we recognize his transcendence and greatness. Look at Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 20. It's a couple books to the left. Habakkuk 2.20, it says, But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let the whole earth be silent in his presence. And so we see this awe, but I want to read another passage. Habakkuk recognized this. And in his prayer in chapter 3, he's describing how he came into the presence of God. And then we see, so I want to read from chapter 3, verse 16 on. He says, I heard and I trembled within. My lips quivered at the sound. Rottenness entered my bones. I trembled where I stood. 
Now I must quietly wait for the day of distress to come against the people invading us. He was promised that God would take care of the enemy, but in the midst of it, in the presence of God, he's still experiencing this silence, but with a trembling and a quivering, uh, a deep experience within him. And you might think, well, that sounds pretty bad. No, it's not bad, because look at the result of it. Verse 17, the faith that's built from coming into the presence of God. Though the fig tree does not bud, And there is no fruit on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though the flocks disappear from the pen and there are no herds in the stalls, though the Vikings never win the Super Bowl, yet I will celebrate in the Lord. They're going to this year, by the way. But yet I will celebrate in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation, the Lord My Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like those of a deer and enables me to walk on mountain heights. That's faith that comes when you come into the presence of God like this. We see this in Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 7, one book over from Habakkuk. Zephaniah 1, 7 says, Be silent in the presence of the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is near. Be silent before him. You see, Our relationship with God is unique. There's no other relationship like this one that we have with anyone else because a relationship with God entails both the fact that he is God and we are not, but also that he loves us and wants a personal relationship. You see, God is transcendent, meaning he's great. He's other than us. And when that is experienced, then silence and bowing before the Lord and recognition of his greatness and and an awful experience in his presence is proper. But also God is imminent. He's close. He draws near to us. And he wants a deep personal relationship with us. And so that entails expressing our love to him and sometimes even shouting and in joyful celebration before him. Our un- the unique relationship with God is here. His transcendence, the proper response, is the fear of the Lord. His imminence, the proper response, is love towards God. And that, both of those are how we experience our God. Now, I want to finish with Psalm 121. And in this psalm, we see, once again, this promise for protection uh, that he has promised. And I hope we've seen a little bit of how this works. But look at what he says. Once again, I hope that this can build faith in you. I lift my eyes toward the mountains. Where will my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. Your protector will not slumber Indeed, the protector of Israel does not slumber or sleep. The Lord protects you. The Lord is a shelter right by your side. The sun will not strike you by day or the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all harm. He will protect your life. The Lord will protect your coming and going both now and forever. I believe that this kind of faith, when we experience his presence, when we experience his blessing, when we experience his protection, revival comes. And revival produces fearless followers. And fearless followers experience revival and fan it into flames. And that's what makes a difference and changes the world. 
And God is calling us then to repent and believe and then act out our belief in fearless service for the king because he's coming back someday. Are you going to be ready? What is he going to find when he returns in your life? Let's pray. Father, a part of us just leaps for joy as we think about the return of Jesus, the king. We do long for that day when everything will be made right and true justice will take place. In the meantime, we trust in you. We lean heavily on you. And we believe you have our back. You will bless us. You will protect us. You will give us your presence so that we can live for you and make a difference in this world. Help us, O oh God, to do that. And if there's anyone here this morning, Lord, who doesn't know you, perhaps they're on the outside looking in, I pray that they'd meet you. And they would see you are kind of scary, but you're also full of love, and you've already provided complete forgiveness for their sins. If they will simply repent, place their faith in Jesus. Draw them to yourself, I ask in Jesus' name.